My name is Nathan, one of the assistant pastors at McLean Presbyterian Community Pastors. So I work a lot with our young adults, college kids, military, and senior saints, kind of a random group of folks. Uh, but I'm glad to be here with you this morning. We love church plants. My wife, Jess, and I, our daughter, Della, is in the nursery hanging out. Uh, she is almost a year old, but Jess and I both were part of church plants in really formative years of our life. So it's always a privilege to come and be here with, with you all. If you have a Bible, please uh, turn it to Acts chapter 1. And as you find that, I'll, I'll share just a little bit more about me. Uh, my wife and I, we live uh, on Capitol Hill, which is not too far of a drive on a Sunday morning, uh, especially these last couple days as well during the government shutdown. Traffic has been quite nice, uh, which has been good. Uh, but I've been at MPC five years uh, in January, and it is a privilege to bring God's word this morning. Today, we want to look ahead at the world to come. We want to peer across the horizon and pull through some aspects of that world into ours. Uh, it's appropriate in the new year to think about the future that God has for us. Our senior pastor at McLean likes to say, the future is so certain it can be written as history. And that phrase really resonated with me as I prepared this sermon and I hope it will encourage you as we begin 2019 together. We've just celebrated what in the church we call the season of Advent, where we contemplated the mystery of an eternal God taking on human flesh and dwelling among us in the incarnation. And despite knowing the journey, where it leads, he embraced it. He knew the agony that awaited him the suffering that would come at the cross. But he chose it in any way for the joy that was set before him. And that joy is, is you, is, is me. And we know, too, that there will be parts of, of our futures that are, are scary, too. There is pain that lies ahead. But what if we could see visions of not just a possible future, but a specific future in our lives. What do you think? Would that be a blessing or a curse? If you could look ahead and see what is coming. There's a lot to unpack in these verses, but today I want you to pay special attention to verse eight. Uh, we'll read it here in a moment, but I'll read it again now. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. These words are certain. Not might be or can be or, or should be or maybe, but will be. And if we get this vision for our future, then we can face anything that 2019 throws at us. So I don't know what's waiting for you in the new year, but if uh, whatever it is, you can face it. So let's read these verses together in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, 
appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking up, looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. I think we say together, the grass withers and the flowers fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Would you pray with me? Merciful and loving Father, we submit ourselves to you and to your word. Would you give each one of us the humility to acknowledge that we all too often don't know what is best? Would you give us the courage to admit that we need help? We need insight from you, our creator. We need you, our loving heavenly Father, to open our eyes that we might see. So would you help us, Spirit, to, to understand what this passage means, but not only what it means, but what it means for our lives. Would you do this by your grace and for your glory? Amen. Today, we're asking questions about the future. You see the title of the sermon, Questions and Answers. Like the disciples, we're curious what the future is going to look like. What is, what is our mission this side of Christmas, this side of the cross? And can we be certain of the plans that God has for us? And we'll find in this text that Jesus answers his disciples' questions and ours, but perhaps not in the way that we would have expected. We just might find that our plans are too small, that our vision for the next year may not be all that God has intended for it to be. And so our passage gives us three truths that we need to face 2019 together. They are direction, power, and hope. But before we look at these three headings, we wanna make sure we have a lay of the land where we are in the scriptures I have no doubt a few of you binge-watched some content, uh, content uh, over the last couple weeks, uh, so maybe it'll be helpful to put it this way. If chapters one and two of the book of Luke are like season one, episode one, what we have here, chapter one of Acts, is season two, episode one. So it's, it's helpful for us to know uh, about the book of Acts, who it's about, why it was written, and what it's about. So real, real quick, uh, who it's about, if Luke's first book, season one, if you will, 
uh, is about all that Jesus began to do and teach until he was taken up. We see that in verse 1 and 2. Then his second work, the book of Acts, is concerned with all that Jesus continues to do and teach. But from his position uh, of authority in heaven, ruling and reigning over all things. This is what uh, Christians call the ascension. Uh, Tim Keller, a pastor in New York, he says it like this. The ascension is not the absence of Christ. It's the increased and heightened presence of Christ. And so that's what the book of Acts, that's who the book of Acts is about. So why was the book of Acts written? We're told early in Luke that his goal in writing to his readers, uh, including you and including me, was that we would know the certainty of the events he records. So we can be sure that this is, this is no fake news story. Luke intends for us to read it with historical accuracy. And we can have confidence in everything that he writes. And he, he gives us two reasons why we can have confidence in this. First, because the resurrected Jesus is alive and is teaching his disciples. And he is offering them proofs. Uh, so that is an important thing for us to know. Uh, what is the book of Acts about? Verse 3 says that during Jesus' 40 days after the resurrection that he was spending with his disciples, he spoke a lot about the kingdom of God. That was a big theme of his teaching. John Frame, uh, one of my seminary professors, uh, puts it like this. The kingdom of God is God's work in history by which he overcomes all his opponents and establishes his righteousness on earth. And so Jesus is teaching his followers about all that God has done in history and will do in the future to establish his rule and his reign, to, to bring true peace and to make things right in the world. And so it's into this context of the resurrected Jesus teaching his followers about the kingdom of God that we, we hear their question found in verse 6. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And you can almost hear the impatience in their question. They're, they're asking, Jesus, when is the inauguration? And no one thinks more about the future than, than D.C. people, I think. No sooner is the 2018 election over that we're already on and focused on 2020. Like the disciples, our minds are often focused on the future too, and we need to hear the answer that Jesus gives to them. And so the first truth we see Jesus' answer provides for his followers is direction. The first truth we see Jesus provide his followers is direction. And it's actually not what they expected. It's not what we would perhaps have expected either. Jesus answers to them, to this question. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and to Samaria and to the end of the earth. So the apostles have asked Jesus, are you going to do this now? And what is his response to them. Actually, followers, I'm going to give you the power 
of the Spirit. Will you be my witnesses to the world? Will you be my witnesses to the world? That should really, that should humble us that Jesus would invite us to be a part of his work. But instead, his disciples seem to be only concerned with their national identity. They ask Jesus, well, when are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And that reminded me of uh, one of my favorite Christmas movies uh, growing up, Ben-Hur. It's a Christmas movie, trust me. There's a manger scene. There's wise men. You see Jesus grow up. It's definitely more Christmas than Die Hard. Um, But it's, it's the story of a Jewish prince who is a contemporary of of Jesus, who's enslaved by the Romans, and eventually he becomes a charioteer. You know him as Charlton Heston. Uh, There's a great article in uh, Slate about Ben-Hur. Quote, "Uh, Ben-Hur was a Jewish William Wallace, bent on freeing Judea from its Roman oppressors. But then he arrives in the Holy Land, and he encounters a rabbi from Nazareth, a man promising not an earthly kingdom, but a heavenly one, end quote. And in the book, if you've ever read it, it's even more pronounced than, than this scene. There's a scene where Ben-Hur has amassed this militia, great militia that is ready to come down and rescue Jesus from the cross. But he realizes that the kingdom of God is different than what he expected. It's not about the restoration of political Israel or even a physical land. And so back, back to our, our story. Jesus says, actually, you're going to be witnesses, not just to your hometown, to Jerusalem and Judea, but to Samaria and to the end of the earth. What he's trying to say is when it comes to the future, I have a mission. Yes, I will be at work, but I'm going to be at work primarily through you. And your, your mission is to be witnesses to the world. Jesus is saying, these are your marching orders. Now that you have seen the light of the world, go and share that light with others. And I love, consider the places that Jesus calls his uh, followers to be witnesses. It's expansive. It's Jerusalem, which was the, the epicenter of their religious community. Judea, the place that rejected our Lord. Samaria, which is the, the spiritual but not religious folks to the north. And then just in case we, we want to cover our bases to the end of the earth, every other place, every worldview. So Jesus says to us that our thoughts, our plans about the future are too small. I'm going to use you to expand my kingdom to the world in ways that you could never have dreamed or imagined. And I love the certainty of the language too. You will be my witnesses. Not I'd like you to be or, you know, sure would be great if you would be my witness, but you will be. 
Someone who has seen and experienced the work of Christ shares it with others. And so a question for us this morning is, does that describe you? Does that describe me? Jesus is saying, it's not optional. You're going to be a witness, either faithful or a false witness. And so do our actions, the way that we live our lives at work or at home, testify to that reality? The truth is, to be faithful witnesses, we're going to need something more than we have in and of ourselves. Jesus' answer to his followers' question about the future gives them direction, but it also gives them power, power to fulfill the mission. Look at verses four and five. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. We always think of Jesus, you know, saying, go, go, go. Here's your mission, go. But here, Jesus actually orders them not to depart until they receive the Spirit. And again, in verse 8, even before he gives them the direction, he makes it clear that they will have a power that equips and enables them to do this work. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. And so one of the implications of verse 8 is that we are powerless before the Spirit comes. We're powerless to fulfill the mission that God has given us. In and of ourselves, we don't have what it takes. And if you think of our city, our context, there is nothing more offensive than that statement. Consider how offensive and absurd, downright horrifying the vast majority of our friends and neighbors would think of the thought that you don't have what it takes. We're a city where people prize and idolize competency, achievement, capability. There are few places in the world that have more terminal degrees than here. 10 plus years, Loudoun County, number one in America for median household income. And Jesus says to his first followers and to his followers in our overcompetent and overachieving city, you need something more than you bring to the table. And the good news of the gospel is that you have it in Christ, that Jesus gives his followers everything they need. We're told even before his death and resurrection, if you remember in John 16, Jesus spoke about the time when he would depart. And he said that that time the helper would come and that it would be better that he would leave in order that he might send the helper to come. Jesus promises to send the Holy Spirit who will bring comfort, who brings discernment, who gives us power. The third person of the Trinity. This is not some mysterious force or, or magical power, but a person. And Christians, we receive the power of the Spirit when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we are not supposed to live in fear or uncertainty. So do you understand the ascension this morning? Do you understand the power that Jesus gives us? 
was reading the Gospel Coalition and I heard a great question. If I were to ask you whether you would rather have Jesus beside you or the Spirit inside you, which do you think most of you would choose? Jesus says, I'm taking the Spirit. Doesn't that show us how far away we are from grasping the power that the Spirit gives us, the power that Jesus is offering us? The Spirit enables us to grow deeper in our faith. The Spirit speaks to us through His Word and helps us to discern the will of God. The Spirit points us to Jesus as a model for our character and godliness. The Spirit helps us to discern the paths that He would have us walk. And wherever we are, whatever our past, the Spirit enables us to rest in His grace. The good news that was promised at the incarnation and the ascension is you have all you need in the gospel. And since you have all you need in the gospel, then you can have hope, whatever the new year brings. And so this brings us to our our third truth this morning, hope. How can we be certain of the hope? The answer comes to us in verses 9 through 11, where we get this really startling scene. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. While they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up to heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him come. I don't know about you, but it just had me thinking maybe some of the the same angels who accompanied Jesus at his incarnation appear here again as he ascended into heaven. And the disciples' reaction, if we're being honest, would would be our own. We, We can understand their reaction as they just stood there gazing up at heaven. And the angels say to them, why, why are you looking up? He's coming back to you the same way you saw him. Now, if I were there and the angels had asked me that question, I might be tempted to say something like this. With all due respect, Mr. Bright and Shiny Angel Man, Jesus was, was here one moment and then the next he's, he's floating up into the clouds in the air it's quite a unique experience for us, so we're, it's just taken a while for us to process this, all right? But here's what is behind the angel's question. Stop looking up. If they were southern angels, they'd be saying something like this. Go on now, get. <laughs> Jesus is in heaven ruling and reigning, and he's coming back. And he has given us our marching orders. He's given us direction. He has given us power. And he has given us hope. And so these three truths lead us to to two consequences for our lives today. The two ways that we can apply this passage to us. Number one is get to work. And the second is enjoy your rest. Get to work and enjoy your rest. I love this 
because Jesus seems to have no problem calling his people to seemingly inherent tensions. In dying, we find life. In giving, we receive. And here, get to work and enjoy your rest. This passage reminded me of a famous quote by C.S. Lewis. It's in your worship guide if you want to pull it out. It's on the little short page. Lewis says, A continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. If you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they've become so ineffective in this one. Aim at heaven and you will get the earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. And you know that you have defined your work as, as a church to gather, to grow, to glorify the name of Jesus as you do what? Share life together, make disciples, worship together, show mercy to the broken and needy in eastern Loudoun County. In Loudoun and for Loudoun is not just a tagline. It is God's call, God's marching orders to King's Cross. As Jesus proclaimed that the kingdom of God was near, he called people to repentance and he began healing the sick and caring for those in need. So I'm, I'm just reading from the work, your marching orders. We desire to live out our calling to make a difference in our community and our world. We know that doing good cannot make God love us more, but God's perfect love for us in Christ frees us and motivates us to want to honor him. And so here, here's the application of our, our marching orders of that quote from, from Lewis. Don't just aim for Loudon. Aim for heaven and you will get Loudon thrown in. Get to work, King's Cross. The second thing, the, the second consequence that God would call us to from this passage is to enjoy the rest. Enjoy your rest. You have everything you need to face 2019. Christian, you have the power of the Holy Spirit who gives you hope for the future. And so may these words from Romans 15 ring true in 2019. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. We can rest and enjoy God's grace because we know that it's ultimately not up to us. It is up to the faithful witness, the, the true ultimate faithful witness of Revelation 1.5, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, Jesus. And in his grace, he invites us to be a part of this incredible journey. He lets us join in his ruling and resting. And so for those who believe in Jesus Christ this morning, rest because everything has been taken care of. And if you're feeling restless, if you're feeling uncertain about 2019, believe upon Jesus and find rest. And then join the kingdom work here at King's Cross.
If you are one who makes New Year's resolutions, maybe you've kept them so far, you've been in the gym every day since the new year, here's one to add. Resolve that we will rely on the Holy Spirit in 2019 and rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Sermon in a sentence. The future is so certain it can be written as history. And so let us take that promise and allow us to work hard and rest hard in 2019 because we know that the results are up to God who gives us direction, power, and hope. Amen. Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, our prayer as we leave here today is that we would be empowered by the Spirit to do more in the midst of our circumstances than we might dream or imagine. So we thank you for giving us direction and not leaving us aimlessly wandering about, looking up to the sky. And so would you show us what it means to see you ruling and reigning in heaven, sitting at the right hand of God the Father. Would you help us to have direction, help us to have the power, help us to have the hope that we can face anything in this life and especially our futures. We see you high and lifted up and pray to you that you would Help these truths sink deep into our souls so that we can get to work and enjoy your rest. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.